It's summertime, and as they say, the living ain't easy. But what is easy is downloading this week's edition of Kicking Out at Two as we hit the beach for some summertime pro wrestling nostalgia. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you all so very much for tuning into this week's show. I got a pretty fun show planned for you guys. I'm really jazzed up about this one. For those of you that uh, you know recognize the music in the background, the music that I don't own, by the way, that is the opening theme of the Hit 90 show Baywatch, starring Pamela Anderson and David Hasselhoff. Like I said, on record, don't own this music. Um, and this week, <laughs> we're going to go back to the beach and we're going to uh, go twenty, go back 24 years, I should say, to relive that time when Hulk Hogan, Kevin Sullivan, Vader, the Macho Man, and Ric Flair all appeared on that show and how it centered around the WCW Bash at the Beach 1995 event. I'll discuss the storyline of that particular episode and how it ties into our mini Baywatch party of the last hour of WCW Bash at the Beach featuring Savage and Flair in that lifeguard match and the Hogan Vader World Heavyweight Championship cage match. You can find that show on WWE Network by searching WCW Bash at the Beach 1995. Like I said later on, I'll have all the directions for you so you can be a part of that special watch party. So stay tuned for that. But before we do that, be a part of all the fun on our social media. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. We got pictures, articles, links to archive shows, and so much more. Hit the like button to join us over there. If you haven't already, if you have, telephone, telegraph, or just tell a friend to like us and join us as well. At Kicking Out 2 is where you need to also follow us on Twitter. Same fun as Facebook, but only 140 to 222 characters or less. And just a reminder for you guys, don't forget, we are also a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Kicking Out at 2 has all its archived links up over there on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network channel over at Podbean. You find us on Podbean by searching Retromania, and then you'll see in that channel listing of all the different shows that's on there, including Kicking Out at 2. You can find Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, and so much more. We're going to be adding more shows down the line in the very near future but kicking out of two all the archived links and up-to-date shows are over there at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network on Podbean and for those of you that don't necessarily like Podbean or have Podbean or whatever the case is you can also search for those show those same shows on Google Play, iTunes, if it's still a thing by now, Stitcher, Spreaker, all the different podcast platforms. If you search Retromania or if you search Kicking Out at Two, you can find those shows over there as well. So we're kind of all over the place um, when it comes to uh, the availability of Kicking Out at Two, which is a good thing. More people listening, it's, it, it makes me feel a lot better. So, <laughs> um, but you know, now that we got all the cheap plugs out of the way, um, l- let me let me give you the brass taxes of what this week's show is all about. Last week, I kind of alluded to it a little bit um, by by saying that we were going to be participating in a watch party of WCW Bash at the Beach 1995. And full disclosure, my brother got married recently, got some family in town. Uh, the next few weeks, I got shows already recorded in the can. So I had to um, I, I had to call an audible here and put together um, a, a show that uh, you know I was going to be able to do on my own um, that I wasn't going to need to rely on a co-host for. Um, so I decided, you know, Partly for that reason, we're not going to watch the entire WCW Bash at the Beach 1995 event. And I'm sparing all of you that because the show 
it, it wasn't that great. Um, as a kid, I remember watching it and thinking, wow, that's really cool. They got a ring in the middle of the beach. They're outdoors in California. The sun is shining. Like, this is great. It's, a, it's something I'd want to be a part of. Um, and, you know, now that I'm 36 years old, I realized, um, yeah, it probably would have been cool to be a part of it. But the, you know, the bell-to-bell in-ring action and the storylines weren't, um, they, they, they weren't uh, very uh, kind to wrestling history. And in 1995, um, you know, they, it certainly wasn't, uh, it was insulting the fans' intelligence, let's just put it that way. So um, I thought because of that, because I got visitors in my home where I record this show, uh, my grandmother's currently staying with us, um, I managed to get a free couple hours here to do this show for you guys, to record it and set it, you know, for uh, for, for, for this date when it drops, um, July the 17th. I thought, you know, what the hell, why not? Um, why not change up the format a little bit? And I was trying to think, I want to keep with the summertime theme. I, I, I want to keep up with the Bash at the Beach theme. It's one of my favorite WCW events over the years. Um, and then I thought to myself, oh, shit. WCW, Bash at the Beach 1995, a, a good portion of that pay-per-view was centered around an episode of the 90s show Baywatch that I played the opening theme music to and Hogan and Savage and Flair Vader and even the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan had roles on this episode um and they filmed the the camera crew that filmed this episode of Baywatch filmed some of the matches some of the portions of the matches from WCW Bash at the Beach and incorporated it into their storyline so I thought why not recap this episode um go real nostalgic for all you you know nostalgic wrestling fans out there and then we'll do the watch party of the last hour of that pay-per-view event with those two matches i'd mentioned in my opening um and and we'll take it from there so that's what we're going to do this week um let me let me start by saying that um you know uh this episode of baywatch um aired on February 19th of 1996, so um, everything that was filmed for this episode wasn't exactly in sync and up to date with the WCW Bash at the Beach 1995 event. That event took place actually um, 24 years ago to the date yesterday. Um, so they, they, they obviously with television, you have to edit and do all kinds of stuff, um, and they, you know, that particular episode aired, um, several months later in in 1996 so um not totally up to date uh when it comes with the timeline but that's no big deal i don't think any of you really care anyway so you're not gonna you know calling you're not gonna be calling for my head to get chopped off because <laughs> because I'm, I'm recapping something where the timeline isn't exactly up to par but anyhow um so this episode of Baywatch, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Baywatch or are familiar with Baywatch, Baywatch was an episode about basically, you know, lifeguards on a beach and, um, you know, saving lives and, you know, with typical good guy, bad guy scenarios. It starred David Hasselhoff and Pamela Anderson, um, Yasmin Bleeth, uh, Alexandria Paul, David Chokichi, um, Gregory Allen Williams, you know, they went through some cast members over the years, um, in this particular episode, there's two different stories going on. The, the one, the the more serious. Well, they're both serious stories, but the 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 story that's not involving the wrestlers involves David Hasselhoff, whose character is Mitch Buchanan. He's the like head lifeguard. He's the boss, um, the lieutenant, I guess you could say, and um, his good friend, who's also a seasoned veteran lifeguard, uh, Stephanie. Um, encounters um a a a scare a health scare with um 
uh, melanoma. And so they go through that whole episode of, you know, she had um, something on her skin. She was she found this out by, by going on a picnic with her doctor boyfriend, who happened to be the best friend of Mitch Buchanan. And uh, he noticed this, this mark on her and said, you need to get that looked at. Come into my office tomorrow. We'll get it looked at. They ran some tests, and it turned out she's got cancer and she's got melanoma. And so... There's the big dramatic um, storyline, the, the the more serious one, so to speak, for this particular episode involving those characters. Um, but on the wrestling side of it, when it comes to the the, the wrestling um, portion of this episode of Baywatch, it begins with uh, Hogan and Randy Savage on their jet skis in the middle of the ocean. They're racing each other, and you could hear that really bad 90s audio dubbed over um, you know, like these two are having a normal conversation while they're on jet skis and these engines are going and um, it's really bad. The audio is not the best. Uh, but if you, you can go back, you can find this episode on YouTube or you can find it on Daily Motion. Uh, that's where I watched it on Daily Motion, um, commercial free. Um, if, if, if I believe I believe Baywatch is currently available like a, as a DVD box set or I think you can find it on um, – on one of the big streaming services like Hulu or maybe even Amazon. I'm not 100% sure. But anyhow, um, this episode aired February 19th, 1996. And Hogan and Savage are racing their their uh, their jet skis. And you can hear Hogan say to Savage, like, come on, brother. And he's like, uh, let's race, dude. Uh-huh. And they're going and the jet skis are flying. You hear the noise. And they got that, like, action sequence music in the background. And like I said, the horrible dubbed over audio. Like, you know, these two guys can hear each other in a normal conversation with jet skis in the middle of the ocean. I mean, come on. Um, and at one point, Savage cuts off Hogan. And Hogan makes a funny turn with the jet ski. And then... Um, I think a wave kind of caught the jet ski and Hogan flew in the air, hit the water, and then the jet ski landed on him. And then we see um, Yasmeen Bleeth, uh, who I believe played Caroline on the show, um, and Pamela Anderson, who played C.J. Parker, um, noticed that, you know, this body is lying in the middle of the ocean, and they go out to save it, and uh, there's a whole bunch of other female lifeguards, and they drag Hulk out of the water, and all of a sudden you hear, oh my goodness, that's Hulk Hogan. And they give him CPR and mouth to mouth, and he wakes up and he's like, "I think I've died and gone to heaven, brother." Um, and after that, Randy Savage makes his way into the scene because he realizes that uh, you know Hogan is not chasing after him, and he races with his jet ski back to shore, and he gets to shore, and uh, he's like, "What happened?" And Hulk gets up and he's like, "You, you cut me off, brother. We need to talk about this. We need to hash this out, dude." Um, so they kind of cut off into the scene and, you know, cut out of the scene. And um, Hulk didn't seem too uh, gracious, but uh, that the, um, the, the the female lifeguards um, helped him and saved his life. Uh, later on in the show, Hulk makes his way back to the beach after he's nursing, you know, licking his wounds. And um, he approaches Pamela Anderson, played by C.J. Parker, and uh, wants to apologize for the way he behaved and... Uh, he says he, he said he heard that the Baywatch lifeguards do a lot of community work with the Boys and Girls Rec Center. And um, he heard that the rec center, the gym, was shutting down, which just so happened to be the famous Venice Beach, California outdoor gym, the, 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 the famous one you could find on Venice Beach in the boardwalk. Um, for those of you that have been to California in that area, I've never been. I'd love to go one day. 
My wife and I have actually talked about that being a, a destination trip for us. Um, but it's a, it's a famous landmark on Venice Beach, uh, the, the big outdoor workout facility. Well, that's centered in the storyline as um, Hulk, you know, Hulk and Randy Savage claim that they got their start by working out at this gym and it helped save their lives as youths and, you know, help them become, you know, bigger, stronger, faster wrestlers. And it's too bad that this place is getting shut down. So they go to the gym and they're working out with the kids and, um, Hulk talks to the guy who owned the property. His name was Sonny. And, uh, he said, is it true that you're, you're, you're shutting down? He says, yeah, I can't keep up with it anymore. And I had to sell it. And this developer is going to come in and, you know, put up, you know, all kinds of retail shopping and luxury housing. And he was really upset about it. And Hulk said, there's gotta be a way we could do something, brother. And Savage is in the background, like, uh-huh, let's do something. Uh-huh. And um, all of a sudden, a limousine pulls up. The horn, the horn honks, and it's uh, it's you know the the it's the developer apparently. And the door of the limousine opens, and the developer is Kevin Sullivan, Rick Flair, and Big Van Vader. Um, and apparently, Rick Flair bought the property and was going to tear it down and turn it into something completely different. And um, they, they kind of played up with the storylines that were going on at WCW at the time because Flair had been retired in storyline and he hadn't returned till I would say, May of 95 from in-ring action. And so Savage said something like, what are you doing during your retirement? Uh-huh. And Flair, you know, says, I bought up a piece of property and I'm going to shut this place down and it's going to be all mine. And they kind of hem and haw and go back and forth and... Um, Hulk, you know, Hulk makes a challenge to Flair. Put your money where your mouth is. Um, you and me for the WCW title. I'll put the belt in the line. You put the, the the deed to the property on the line. And Flair says, "Oh no, 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 no! I don't want you know. I want Savage. I want a piece of Randy Savage." And uh, they have a little kind of back and forth with each other. And and he says, "You know, you get Vader. You get Vader one on one. You put that belt on the line against Vader and." Uh, the, the, the terms were set and the deal was made and Flair had said that you had to win both matches to get the chance to take over the property and the deed of this the, this gym. So um, the deal was made and before before the, uh, the the bad guys left, Vader took a basketball out of some kid's hand and he crushed it and um, kind of you know let Hogan know that you know it's Vader time and you, you're not winning the match. So. <laughs> um, and then throughout the course of the episode, Hogan and Savage and those guys made little appearances. Uh, at one point, Hogan was kind of taking a stroll down the beach, a little jog, and uh, him and Pam Anderson noticed that there was a kid that was stuck underneath a rock and the waves were crashing down. And um, Hulk ran in, you know, because Hogan's got Hogan's to steal everyone's thunders. We all know this. I mean, all these, all the Hogan haters out there, you, can, you could probably attest to it. Hogan's stealing Pam Anderson's thunder. He's going to do her job better than he does it. As he goes in there, he swims, he picks up the rock, and then Pam saves the kid whose foot was stuck under the rock. And, you know, Hogan, Hogan has his big moment, big baby face moment. Not like he's not going to have enough of that in this episode, but um, Hogan, Hogan uh, you know, played lifeguard for a minute and, and did it pretty well because he's Hulk Hogan. He can do anything great. <laughs> um, I'm sure a lot of you Hogan detesters out there will, uh, will, will definitely agree, but I facetiously say that uh, just because of that. So, um, you know, I could care less. But anyhow, um, 
so the episode continues and we get a um, a scene where Hogan and Savage, you know, we need to train for this match, brother. We need to we, we need to work hard. We need to prepare ourselves. You know, we're, we're here to save the Boys and Girls Club, dude. And he's like, save the Boys and Girls Club. Uh-huh. So you see um, Savage and Hogan and some of the Baywatch lifeguards and all the kids in the community. They do some big jog, um, some big run on the beach and around the area. And the, the music is set to Hulk Hogan's W. WCW uh, American made theme song entrance theme song and it ends similar in, in very you know uh, heroic fashion at the end they make it back to the gym at the boys and girls club and um, you know uh, the, the kids are cheering them on and um, you know they're up they run up the steps real quick and they pose and the lifeguards are up there Pam Anderson and the the, the male lifeguard who was Cody played by David Chokachi and you know they're they're you know it's that big like heroic moment like we're ready we're gonna take down the evil Vader and Ric Flair and you know um, it, it was it was it was some pretty funny stuff uh, seeing um, you know Hogan try to run. Um, at, at that time at his age, all the injuries I'm sure caught up to him. He's in, you know, red and yellow bicycle shorts um, with, you know, high-top sneakers and uh, his wristbands and his bandana, his Hulk Hogan shirt. Uh, Savage looked pretty funny with his Macho Man bandana and, like, the tassels on, like, his gym shorts and, like, his shirt. Like, it was it, it, it was pretty silly. But, I mean, those guys back then, even in the mid-'90s, they lived their gimmicks. They they. They were they were that character in and out of the ring, um, and so we get to the big scene where you know the closing moments of this event of this episode where um, they have um, Hogan and Savage being interviewed by the local news. Same thing with Flair and Vader, and uh, um, the first match comes and it's Flair and Savage, and they show the highlights of that match. Um, edited down and chopped down and I believe they probably filmed some extra scenes for it just for television um, separately from the the footage they used from Bash at the Beach 1995 and uh, they did some cutaways with the lifeguards cheering them on and and then after that um, you know Hogan uh, you know Savage ends up winning the match so that's one down and then it's Hogan and Vader, and before Hogan goes out, Pam Anderson's like, they're putting up a cage, oh no, and Hulk's like, that wasn't part of the deal, brother, and Flair's like, it's Vader time, it's, you know, I call the shots, these are my terms, and so Hulk kind of goes along with it, because he's Hulk Hogan, he's a real American hero, and uh, you have Hogan and Vader in the cage from Bash at the Beach, and like I said, similar, you know, uh, similar uh, sequences in terms of filming, they showed some clips from the match, and then they film some stuff I'm sure separately and as we all know Hogan won that match and then he won the deed back and the kids were celebrating and everything was you know everything was was hunky dory um, in in the land of Baywatch um, Sonny got his gym back and all was right with the world Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage saved um, the, the the boys and girls club of uh, Huntington Beach California um, stealing, taking back the, the, the deed to the property from the nature boy Ric Flair, Kevin Sullivan, and big fan Vader. Um, so that was the gist of what took place on that episode of Baywatch. Like I said, you can go back and watch it if you want. It's on YouTube and on Daily Motion. The episode is from February the 19th, 1996. Um, and uh, like I said, it's uh, that story mixed in with the. The, um, the the cancer melanoma story 
between Mitch Buchanan's character and the the Alexandria Paul's character Stephanie and her doctor boyfriend. I forget who he was played by. I should have probably taken notes for that one too. Um, but anyhow, um, before we get into this watch party here, while, while actually you know while. While you guys are searching, I'll give you guys the results of the remainder of the Bash at the Beach card. Because like I said, it was 1995, it was WCW, it wasn't the greatest, and I, I swore I wasn't going to do another watch party by myself, especially at that length. I said that last week. I will not do another watch party on my own, but I could do something a little more condensed, and I think with the whole Baywatch theme and the, the terms and the circumstances, the last hour of this pay-per-view, I can handle it on my own. So um, while you guys are searching for WCW Bash at the Beach, it took place on July the 16th, 1995. You can find that in the WCW pay-per-view section of your WWE Network account. You guys go search for that, and I'm going to have you guys go to uh, – I'm going to have you fast-forward through the event – and um, actually, let me do that myself too here. I apologize here. I'm not super prepared. All right. So you're gonna get to you're gonna get to one hour. You're gonna. I'm sorry here. You're gonna get to one hour, twenty eight minutes and ten seconds. Okay. That's where you're going to stop at, okay? And once you get there, leave it paused, and then I'll give you the, the, the rest of the directions here. But um, I'm going to give you guys the results of what took place at this event before we cover these last two matches here in this watch party form. Um, on WCW Main Event, which was like their pregame show, um, it, was, it was on uh, Sundays at 6.05 on TBS. You saw Sergeant Craig the Pitbull Pittman defeat Chris Canyon. In two minutes and three seconds in a singles match to open that that event. Uh, Chris Canyon uh, was an underneath guy, I'd say. Was probably an enhancement talent during this period of time in WCW before he became the Mortis character. And then eventually morphing back into um, you know Chris Canyon with uh, Raven and the Flock. Um, so yeah, this was uh, early days of Canyon before he was known to be a... a uh, I wouldn't say a big star, but to be a recognizable star in WCW. Um, the second match on WCW made event saw Road Warrior Hawk defeat Mark Starr in one minute and 25 seconds. And then the third match on this main event program saw Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck managed by Colonel Robert Parker defeat Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Das Wunderkind Alex Wright in a tag team match in three minutes and 27 seconds. Um, the main card of this pay-per-view opened with Sting defeating Meng, who was managed by Colonel Robert Parker, in a singles match for the WCW United States Championship. This was a pretty fun match. I watched this uh, earlier this week. Um, this was a rematch from their match at the pay-per-view last month, Great American Bash 1995, where the two of them were involved in the finals of the United States Championship Tournament with Sting coming out the victor. Um, the next match saw the Renegade, managed by the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, defeating Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff to retain the WCW World Television Championship. For those of you unfamiliar or familiar with him, the Renegade was an Ultimate Warrior knockoff um, that was brought in as like an ally of Hulk Hogan's. I remember at that time in 95 in WCW, um, the way that they were hyping him up, um, I thought for sure Ultimate Warrior was going to be a part of WCW and have an alliance with Hogan and Savage on screen. Um, even to and, and then I just found out recently, I believe it was on an episode of um, 
of uh, WHW, uh, What Happened When, with Tony Schiavone. Uh, there was a story that broke out that Warrior was in the area negotiating a deal to come into WCW with Eric Bischoff. And Schiavone remembers... Didn't, he never he didn't see him at the event, but Shivani remembers rumors of that story making the rounds at that event. Um, even going as far as to saying he think the he thinks the meeting took place, but he can't confirm it or deny it one hundred percent. So that would have been interesting if the Ultimate Warrior appeared in WCW in nineteen ninety five, um, alongside Hogan and Savage. That would have been an interesting trio. Um, in WCW. Definitely would have been reliving WWF nostalgia, that's for sure. The next match on this card um, lasted six minutes and six seconds too long as Kamala with the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan defeated Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, nothing to write home about here. Uh, let's move on. Uh, the Di- uh, Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle, who unfortunately just passed away recently, Max Muscle, um, defeated Dave Sullivan in 4 minutes and 23 seconds. That storyline um, and that match culminated after uh, a few weeks or a month or a couple months of uh, Page um, having issues with Sullivan. Uh, it was Kimberly who had won the lottery. She won $9 million according to uh, DDP, but he took the money. And so Sullivan, um, as goofy as a character as he was, he kind of was onto the scheme and they had their issues. And I believe DDP um, stole Dave Sullivan's rabbit and cooked the rabbit um, and made rabbit stew <laughs> out of it, if I remember correctly. Um, the next match on this card is Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry defeating the Nasty Boys, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags, and the team of the Blue Bloods, Lord Steven Regal and Earl Robert Eaton, who is once known as Beautiful Bobby Eaton of the Midnight Express, in a triple threat triangle match for the WCW World Tag Team Championship in 13 minutes and 8 seconds. I remember at the time as a kid when they announced this match, it was the first time... It was the first match of its kind um, in WCW, a, a, a three-way dance or a triple threat, or I believe, like I said, they called it a triangle match at one point. So I remember they hyped it up as a big deal. Um, didn't know what to make of Bobby Eaton with Steven Regal. Um, looking back on it now and watching some of the, the, the skits and the vignettes that they put together with the two of them, um, it was actually kind of funny that Steven Regal um, from England is trying to educate uh you know Huntsville, Alabama, beautiful Bobby Eaton, on how to be um, more more classy and refined as one of the Blue Bloods. Um, so that you know, back as a kid, it could have cared less for it. But you know, during this time period, um, you know, or back then, I could have cared less for it. But now, I, I find it kind of funny um, after I just watched some of that stuff recently. So that is the card up until this point with the double main event like i said one minute 28 one hour 28 i'm I'm losing my train of thought here i apologize one hour 28 minutes and 10 seconds you're going to get to your wwe network and when i say play hit play and we're going to watch for the first match we're going to watch is the macho man randy savage against rick flair in a lifeguard match and then we're going to watch the main event hulk hogan with jimmy hart defending the WCW World Heavyweight Championship inside of a steel cage against Big Van Vader. So, without further ado, hope you have your WWE Network logged in, ready to go. And I'll give you guys a little bit of a countdown in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, hit play. As we see this shot here of the beach with the lifeguard tower and cutting into 
the Mean Gene Okerlund interview segment here with the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Um, like I'd mentioned earlier, the, the, they, the, the Baywatch crew filmed parts of this match, and I'm sure they had to film some spots for, for their own purposes for TV separately with Savage and Flair. But for those of you that don't remember how this rivalry came to be, it was at um, it was at Slamboree 1995, just two months prior, where uh, Flair was reinstated into WCW, and he made his return, teaming with Vader to take on Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in the main event. It was Hogan and Savage who had lobbied with the WCW Championship Committee to get Vader, or I'm sorry, Flair reinstated because Flair had been getting involved in Hogan and Savage's issues, um, even though he was technically retired. Why was he retired? Well, he was retired because he lost a retirement match to Hulk Hogan at the Halloween Havoc 1994 event. So um, uh, he would make his return, I believe, at Super Brawl and get involved in the Vader match. And then I think he dressed in drag as, uh, uncensored in that strap match. And he was a part of the finish for that. And things just built up. So they had that big tag match. Post-match comes and Flair and Arn Anderson, who was in... Vader um, and uh, Flair's Corner um, attacked Randy Savage's father, um, Angelo Poffo, who was in attendance. Why was he in attendance? Well, WCW at that time tried to start their own uh, Hall of Fame, and they put Angelo Poffo in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, to get a little bit of heat, brother, Flair and Anderson put a beating on Angelo Poffo, and... Uh, you know, Savage and Hogan were both kind of... Hogan was dealing with Vader, and I believe Savage was incapacitated. They had attacked Savage prior, and then they beat down Angelo Poffo, and it set the stage for Great American Bash in 1995. Um, the, the following month, it was headlined by Flair and Savage, and Flair would sneak out with the victory, and Savage just couldn't get the best of the nature boy Ric Flair. So we get to this point here, uh, Bash at the Beach 1995, Flair and Savage in a lifeguard match. Oh, hey now. Um, yeah, right there. Yep, there you go. Uh, so we get so we get to the lifeguard match. And um, I remember as a kid, when they built up for this match, I thought, oh, what's a lifeguard match going to be? Um, and they explained it that a lifeguard match was going to be very similar to a lumberjack match. Here you go. Here's some of the, the Baywatch um, beauties. I don't know if any of these gals and that one guy there. Oh, hey now. Blonde with the curly hair, yeah. Whew. Hey now. Um, <laughs> look at Bobby Heenan trying to get a uh, trying to get a shot of the lifeguards. That's hilarious with the white pants. Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone came dressed to impress with the the. the <laughs> <laughs> the orange shorts and the tennis sneakers and his best uh, Oakley sunglasses. Look at those socks. Oh, my God. He's wearing fucking tube socks with stripes. Holy shit. Um, but the lifeguard match, they said that there were going to be lifeguards surrounding the ring. So when you see there Jim Duggan, Arn Anderson, Dick Slater, Bunkhouse Buck, you'll see Harlem Heat, Nasty Boys, um, Diamond Dallas Page and Max Muscle. I think you'll see Canyon out there. You see a few of these guys out there, and you're like, those aren't lifeguards, but looking back on it now, I wasn't smart enough at that young age to figure out it was just another way of calling it a lumberjack match, pretty much, <laughs> is what it was. So, um, 
This is WCW's version of a lumberjack match. Like I said, lifeguard match with men surrounding the ring. They're on the beach. Go with the theme. Why not? Cool little marketing ploy. Ric Flair coming down the aisle in that beautiful pink robe. Flanked by WCW security. You see that little that, that, that movie reel camera. Yeah, right, right behind Flair. Um, that was uh, Baywatch. Uh, the Baywatch crew filming. Um this event, and at least this match, and the next one, um, as a part of their their storyline for that particular episode that was set to air um, in February of '96. Now, next week, um, not to give you guys a little preview, we're going to be covering, or I'm going to be covering outdoor wrestling events. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of outdoor wrestling events, uh, stadium settings. I think it's. Um, I think it's pretty cool, pretty cool concept, um, and that's why I like this event so much. Is because look at it; you could just see right here with the the amount of people. It's on the beach, like it just has this like this like fun setting, you know. Um, and I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, that's why I like it so much as a kid. I, I was like, oh wow, like I'd love to be a part of that. I'd love to be there in person and check that out. So um, here he is. Macho man, uh-huh. Captain Slim Jim, right there. There you see him uh, greeting his father, Angelo Poffo. Angelo's got the cane. Uh, I give you the cane, Randy. You you beat the shit out of Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he has an Italian accent or not. I thought for some reason he did. I don't know why he just did that. But uh, the um, the the outdoor events, um, big fan of. So we're going to be covering that next week on next week's show. But this here, as you're watching this, taking a look and watching this with me, it's a it's it's a pretty cool scene. You know, you're out in the middle of the beach and the ocean's there. It's summertime and um, you see like you see the waves coming in on the beach, the lifeguard tower in the background. Like it's just a cool visual. Um, and you know, from a production standpoint, they were very lucky that this event didn't get rained out um, because you see that there's like a lighting rig um, around the ring um, but and there's there's lights but there's no like canopy cover to cover in the event that you know these guys get rained out on so um, fortunately enough WCW had been um, very very lucky that their outdoor events were held in good weather. There, oh, there he is, Johnny B. Bad, Mark Merrill, Dave Sullivan. You see Arn Anderson there, Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. Um, I need one of them tie dye shirts and Bash the Beat tie dye shirts. Those look pretty cool. Harlem Heat, TDP, Max Muscle, yep. Canyon right there. Who better than Canyon? Um, but the uh, they they're very fortunate that their outdoor events didn't uh, didn't have uh you know shitty weather and surprising i'm surprised that they don't have a canopy over this because it was two months prior they held a wcw saturday night taping live from the charlotte motor speedway in charlotte north carolina in the middle of the street and it was pouring rain i remember watching as a kid i was like oh my god like this is crazy like guys trying to jump off the top rope and slipping and you know not bring not being able to have a really good match because it was just slippery on the canvas, so it's kind of surprising to me that WCW didn't put some sort of canopy up over this, knowing that they were going to be, um, you know, taking this event taking place outdoors. But um, see here, Savage getting a piece of flair early on. Um, you know, 1995 
wasn't the kindest in all of pro wrestling. It's one of the worst years from a creative standpoint as well as from a business standpoint. I've kind of discussed that on, on other episodes before. However, um, this storyline really wasn't bad. It was basic. It was something that you could get yourself emotionally involved in. Um, you know, you're a loved one that you care for is being hurt by someone that you hate. I mean, you know, Savage and Flair, their characters had history. Um, you know, in, in the WWF and WCW wasn't, you know, the first to, uh, look at that mug right there. Bunkhouse buck. Um, Savage and Flair, you know, WCW wasn't the, wasn't going to come outright and say that, you know, these two had history, you know, from their time in WWF, but they kind of alluded to it a little bit that they've had their, their, their paths had crossed, um, in another lifetime in the world of professional wrestling. So, um, they just had natural chemistry with each other. Um, both guys knew how to push each other's buttons creatively and, uh, they had some really good matches. Uh, obviously people most remember Savage and Flair's battles, the one from uh, WrestleMania eight, uh, three years prior than this match, um, a, a match that was thrown together, um, virtually at the 11th hour with Flair and Savage and the whole debacle with the magazine. And I had Liz first and, you know, that was some really good stuff. That was some pretty heavy stuff for that time in 1992. And, uh, you know, in this storyline here, Savage tugged at the heartstrings of another family member of, of Randy's, and that was his father. So, the, like I said, most of the storylines in WCW and just in wrestling in general creatively weren't, um, they weren't hitting a home run. But this one here was, was solid. You can get behind this. And it was, it was good traditional pro wrestling um, between the two guys. Um, both, you know, Hall of Famers. And, uh, I mean, they could take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad, but they didn't need to in this instance here. Savage laying them left hands in and an elbow, taking Flair down. Oh, there. Right there, lifeguard, yeah. Come save me. Actually, no, that's not the blonde. That's not the blonde I was thinking of. That's, uh, that was the one that was at the end. Yeah, she's cute too. But anyhow, um, I hope my wife's not listening. <laughs> um but yeah, these two, they, they had some pretty good outings against one another um, during their time in WCW. This being one of them. This storyline being one of them. Um, and their rivalry would continue um, not long after this, a few months after this. Um, even though uh, they were divorced, um, Randy Savage brought in Miss Elizabeth uh, to, to, to WCW and... They paired Liz with Savage and Hogan because they were still like an on-screen duo um, against like Flair and the Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom, um, which we would see the early stages of the Dungeon of Doom stemming from this event here. Um, and eventually, you know, the tables would turn on Savage once again and Liz ended up turning on Savage and, and siding with Flair and... That was that was that that made the storyline even more emotional um, between the two. So it seemed like the ongoing theme between Savage and Flair was was that Flair was going to hurt the ones that Savage loved, and that was going to be the that was going to be the reason to poke at Randy Savage. He knew he knew what was going to be best um, 
to he knew he knew the best option to to get under the skin of Randy Savage, and and it worked. I mean, anybody can relate to a guy stealing your girl or your girl leaving you for somebody else who's a fucking dickhead or, you know, somebody that you don't like hurting the one that you love. And I don't mean that in a physical aspect. Uh, There you see the cameras, the Baywatch cameras filming. Um, So it was very easy for these two to, you know, uh, to, to work together. And the, the, the the stories were simple yet um, relatable for some people. Um, but yeah, this is the blow off match here for this, at least for this rivalry during this time period, because, um, Flair would eventually move on to, um, to, uh, something else with, uh, with Arn Anderson, the, um, that little horseman split, uh, between the two of them. Um, that people thought were, I mean, great a great match, but people didn't buy it that Flair and Arn were enemies. They tried it. I think they could have went a little bit longer with it. I think if they really dug their heels in, I think people would have got into it. Um, the matches were great, but um, for whatever reason, they saw that the money was, you know, best... Uh, when the two of them were together than they were apart. And that's, you know, that's been the case for a lot of different duos and trios. And, um, you know, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar currently in WWE today being one of them, uh, where, you know, it's it's best that, you know, Brock and Paul are together and Brock and Paul are separate um, because, you know, even though Paul Heyman could probably do well on his own, um Brock Lesnar without Paul Heyman in WWE, I don't think um, I don't think he would feel very comfortable. Uh, another situation here where we see the Lumberjacks getting involved. Savage having uh, to be helped into the ring by the Nasty Boys here. You saw a couple of the Lumberjacks fighting over who's going to go after Savage. And, oh, miscommunication there. I think Flair was supposed to kind of crotch the the top rope, and he jumped, and his chin or his lip hit the top of Savage's bald spot there. What are you talking about? I'm not bald, uh huh? Wear a bandana, uh huh? Man, I tell you, I mean, uh, you know, for those of you that listen to this, um, you could probably tell I cover a lot of stuff involving Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, and I try to mix it up and really uh, cover. a wide range of of pro wrestling history, but those two guys are my favorites. Um, and I really miss Randy Savage. I wish Randy Savage was alive to be a part of this, to, just to, to just experience what this big wrestling boom period is. Um, I mean, he was a private guy, from what I gather. But um, he, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, he could... I I I just wish he'd be a part of more, you know, more of wrestling, you know, in in today's world. Not necessarily being involved in a storyline, but you know, it would be pretty cool to like see him like host a, a show on the WWE Network or being interviewed for a documentary. You know, um, even though that Randy Savage documentary was 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 okay. I didn't think it was the best product WWE put out. Um, I think it was too short, and I think there were so many more memories um, in his career that they could have highlighted. 
but they kind of kept it short. Um, I wish he could have been a part of that. What he's not a part of and what he doesn't want any part of is this figure four right here with Ric Flair. Holy cow. Laying it in there. Right in the middle. Savage's got nowhere to go. He's fighting it off. There you see the baby faces telling the people in the crowd, come on, let's go. Cheer on Randy Savage. There's dad looking on. Cop it a feel. <laughs> Arn Anderson there cheering on Flair. Flair looking to gain advantage of the ropes. Savage now, I think I got it. I'm coming back now. Uh -huh. I'm coming back now. Yeah, that's right. I'm coming back. I'm going to turn it over, and then the match is going to go my way. And then after it's all said and done, I'm going to snap into a Slim Jim, and maybe I'm going to snap into one of them Baywatch beauties. Uh -huh. Figure four broken up. Savage now on the comeback trail, or is he? I don't know. Kind of derailed here at this point. By Ric Flair. Suplex attempt by Flair holding him up. Ooh, that's pretty good. And down. I'm surprised. I've never seen. Oh, well, I shouldn't say I've never. Maybe I just don't remember seeing Flair um, hold a guy up that long for a suplex. Um, I, I kind of attribute that to uh, Davy Boy Smith. As we see Flair making his way up. Oh, punch to the gut by Savage. Another one to the gut by Savage. And a right hand by Savage. I think he's on the comeback. Flair looking, blocked the right hand. Another right hand by Savage. And we go to the corner. One, two, three. Inverted atomic drop, blocked by Savage. Another right hand. Ooh. And another one, and Flair goes out. And there we see Flair trying to leave. Oh, look at this. He's done. He's trying to leave, but the lumber, the lifeguards, excuse me, I can't call them lumberjacks. The lifeguards bring him back into the ring. Now, I'm not done with you yet. I didn't get a piece. I want the whole thing. I didn't get a piece. Into the corner. Back body drop. Bam. Down to the mat. It's been a pretty fun match so far, I will say. Um, I don't remember as a kid really liking this match, but after watching it now, it's not bad at all. Uh-oh. Arn Anderson up. And there's a nasty boy up. And look at this. Uh-huh, that's right, Double A. Why don't you sit your bald ass down, uh-huh? Oh, finger to the eye by Ric Flair as the referee is distracted with Brian Nobbs. What the hell is Uncle Nobbs doing up there for real? Seriously, Flair looking at... Oh! Back potty drop into the nasty boys. Didn't even hit the floor. Oh, wait a minute. There's Anderson. Boom. DDT. Between him and Jake the Snake, those two guys had the best DDTs in the business. I don't care what everyone says. And I hate that that move is 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 a is not a is not used as effectively. Um it's not a, it's not one, you know, when, when you got hit by the DDT, lights out, match over, you know. Now it's a move that everyone kicks out at. <laughs> um, a lot of the moves in wrestling, you know, back then that I thought were pretty devastating and, and, and dangerous, um, they're seen as, you know, transitional moves now. 
Um, DDTs are not as seen as as effective as they they were back in the day, which is you know unfortunate. But um, that's you know that, that's the way it goes in wrestling. But I think uh, I think we'll get back to that point where simple things like that will mean something. They'll matter when it comes to telling a story in the ring. Flair going to the top, which is never good. He never has a yeah. You would think by now he'd know. Like I can't go to the top rope anymore because this is what happens right there. A beal off the top rope. Savage makes his way up top. Double axe handle to Nature Boy Ric Flair. I'm not done yet, uh-huh. Set him up, buddy. Slam, take him down, uh-huh. And it looks like we are heading for the finish here. As Randy, Macho Man Savage, is going up for the big elbow. Right there to Nature Boy Ric Flair. We got a one. We got a two. We got a three. And your winner of the lifeguard match, Macho Man, uh-huh. Randy Savage. That was match one um, in this double main event, Baywatch party of wcw's bash at the beach 1995 look at that crowd that's that's so cool that had been i mean standing room only but that's a pretty big room <laughs> um that'd have been cool to see um what is he doing oh, i'm not done yet uh-huh. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get a piece of them right now uh-huh. oh wait a minute there's arn anderson to oh no that's mark star what the heck mark star okay that's uh, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> I guess <laughs> okay. But you see Johnny B. Bad, Nasty Boys, Hacksaw, Dave Sullivan, all in there celebrating with the Macho Man. You see the Baywatch lifeguards down below. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like, you come over here. Let's go. Uh huh. Back to my dressing room. Uh huh. I got something to show you. Yeah. You, you ever want to snap into that Slim Jim? You let me know. Uh huh. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Save the Boys and Girls Club, uh uh-huh. I'm going to save you tonight. Yeah, that's right. Give me some, uh uh-huh. Yeah, my dressing room's located on the left. It's got the big star. It says Macho. First name Macho, last name Man. Uh Uh-huh. That's right, you too. Oh, yeah, definitely you. I don't don't turn down the brunettes, uh uh-huh. That's right. Uh, It's a big Macho party. I got Slim Jims for everybody. I got an extra special Slim Jim for all of you to share, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Yeah, I can only imagine uh, what that was like. Here's a helicopter shot of... uh, of this crowd, yeah, that's that, that's impressive. That's some pretty cool stuff there. That really is. I wonder. I don't know. I don't know what the exact attendance was. In fact, I could probably look it up. This is the snap of the match, right here. Um, as I'm looking up on my research, um, the attendance um, looked to have been nine thousand five hundred people, approximately. So, you know, almost ten thousand people on the beach for this event, and you know, WCW here um, with their brainchild, they didn't uh, they didn't uh, sell tickets for this event. This was free. People got to go to this event for free. Okay, um, I can't imagine what they made on pay per view because they, you know, pay per view business was down for just wrestling in general unless it was a huge event um but yeah this uh this show here um didn't sell tickets to same thing with like the sturgis shows the bike shows or the 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 nitro spring breaks and all that stuff they didn't sell tickets to those they let people come for free it's like what the fuck um 
But I mean, Turner was a television company more or less than a a they a live event you know company, um, and the you know as we saw, there's a reason why WCW doesn't exist anymore because of decisions like that. Um, as we see a video package here for Vader and Hulk Hogan, oh Jesus, shoving the shit out of Nick Bockwinkle and Hogan getting a piece of him. Hogan and Vader inside the cage. I remember 1995, I was 12 years old during this time period, and Hogan and Vader was a cool matchup because it was never done before. Uh, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Um, I was a big Vader fan. I was obviously a big Hogan fan too as well, but I was a big Vader fan, and I thought that um, I thought that Vader would match up very well with Hogan, and I didn't mind the matches that they had. Um the Super Brawl match, and uh, I didn't like the strap match they had at Uncensored that year in 95, but this cage match, um, apparently Vader worked with a separated shoulder in this match, so it wasn't as it wasn't as good as many hoped it to be, but um, I didn't realize that until later on, that he had hurt his shoulder going into this match. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, we see here the... the the destruction of Vader's path to to Hulk Hogan and the WCW World Heavyweight Championship here. As we see the aerial shot with the steel cage being set up. Um, it looks like they're almost ready for this main event here between Hogan and Vader for the WCW World Heavyweight title. And there's Mean Gene after, you know, now he takes his hat off because he's probably had a couple of cocktails, I'm sure. Uh, that was Mean Gene. Oh, Jesus, Vader, what the hell are you doing? What's the matter with you? Hey, Gene, it's Vader time. I'm going to take Hulk Hogan's world title. I'm going to end Hulkamania inside of that steel cage, brother. Because it's Vader time. I don't care if he's your best friend. I don't care if you got plans to go out drinking with the Hulkster anymore. It is Vader time. I'm going to be the world champion. So you better have that cocktail ready because you're going to sit next to Hogan in the bedside of the hospital when I get done breaking him in half. Ooh, it's time. It's time. It's Vader time. That's pretty much what Vader said. You know, he, he told Gene that, you know, don't go to the bar. Bring your drink with you to the hospital because you're going to sit next to him in the bed. <laughs> but, yeah, I've, I've said before in this show, I was I was scared to death of Vader when I was a kid, man. And when he came to the WWF, I was like, ugh. I was so, I was so disappointed in his run and... You know, you could chalk that up with injuries and the politics and everything else that went on behind his run. But, man, he was so awesome in WCW. I was kind of hoping when he left WWF that WCW was going to bring him back again. Maybe have him do something with the NWO. Not necessarily join the NWO, but maybe be an ally to, like, a Sting. Like, that would have been cool. Vader going back to WCW. But, I mean... In 1999, yeah, I think he was past his prime. Um, but, I mean, that didn't stop WCW from using other guys. But from what I gather, I think Bischoff had some issues with Vader. Um, and that's why Vader didn't make it back to WCW. Um, I don't know if that stemmed from the incident with Paul Orndorff in the locker room when Paul Orndorff beat the shit out of him in shower shoes. Uh, but, um yeah, Vader, unfortunately, didn't have a good end to his in-ring career. I know he made some appearances like in TNA, in the early days of TNA. Um, he came back to WWE for a couple of shots here and there. 
like one-offs, nothing major. Um, the last time I saw Vader wrestle was in 2012 at a Monday Night Raw in Hartford, Connecticut. He wrestled Heath Slater. And uh, that was the last time I saw Vader. And it was cool. He had got a big pop. The crowd was into it. But um, this was this was the best. I mean, Vader's time in WCW, I think, is what defines his career. People will look at Japan and stuff he did with Stan Hansen when Stan Hansen popped his fucking eye out. But... I look at WCW as the time where Vader really built up his resume between the, especially the stuff he did with Sting and Cactus Jack, the stuff he did with Ron Simmons, um, even the stuff with Hogan was good stuff. You know, when they would eventually um, become allies against the Dungeon of Doom following this event, I was really looking forward to seeing a babyface Vader, but Vader um, had that issue, and then he was let go, and. Then he made his way to the WWF in early 1996, um, debuting at the 1996 Royal Rumble event. So, um, but we'll see here. Oh, Ric Flair and Tony. This is okay. So this here, this little commercial here, is um, is is hyping up the Collision in Korea event that took place. Um, they, WCW put this on pay-per-view. This event is currently not on the WWE Network. You won't be able to find it on WWE Network. But they aired it. Um, I think it took place in like May or June of 95. And then they edited it down and they aired it in August. Um, as you saw in that commercial there. You, you won't be able to find that event on WWE Network. But if I were you, I would go to... I, if you're a podcast listener like myself, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, I imagine you listen to other wrestling-related podcasts as well. Uh, check out Eric Eric Bischoff's 83 Weeks where he discusses how the Collision in Korea event came about and then his experiences traveling over to, to, to uh, North Korea um, for the Ric Flair, Antonio Inoki match. It's fascinating stuff. I mean, the culture and the way the politics were then and what they currently are now with North Korea and the United States, I mean... Bischoff tells some very, very interesting stories and some scary stories, too, as well, regarding his time there um, in the couple of days um, that he uh, that, that that they were over there for that event. So, you know, you should check that out on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Um, give a little cheap podcast plug there. Um, but, you know, don't stop listening to this podcast because I greatly appreciate it and I need all the support I can get um, as a nostalgic pro wrestling fan. As we see here, Hulk Hogan with Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman in his corner. This was before Rodman really blew up and became a big star in mainstream media uh, with his antics. Um, I, I believe, I don't know if Rodman was on the Bulls at this time. I don't think he was. I, think, I still think he was with uh, the Detroit Pistons at this time, and Rodman was in his corner. Um, Rodman would play a big part in some WCW events over the years with uh, you know, two Bash at the Beach events, tagging with Hogan, um, one year he opposed Carl uh, Malone and DDP when he was tagging with Hogan. He had a singles match with Randy Savage at a pay-per-view, which is a pretty fun match at the Road Wild 1999 pay-per-view event. But um, this was early days of Dennis Rodman's involvement um, with WCW, just kind of being in Hogan's corner here to make sure that uh, the, the evil Dungeon of Doom would not get involved. Um I've been saying it for however long I have, but I did not like Jimmy Hart with Hulk Hogan here. I didn't like him in WCW. I didn't like him in WWF. 
I just didn't think Hulk Hogan needed Jimmy Hart. I thought it was, I don't know, it it was, I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. I looked at Jimmy Hart as the weasel. I said it on last week's show, and I'll say it again. I think it was, I think it was stupid and silly that they put the two of them together. But um, Jimmy Hart was a good bad guy manager. He wasn't a good good guy manager. And I don't think Hulk Hogan needed a manager and an entourage like this. It was it was stupid. It was silly. He stood on his own two feet for so many years in the WWF. Why did he need you know Jimmy Hart and you know, even Dennis Rodman? Maybe maybe Rodman you know would have been nice. But what the what the fuck is Jimmy Hart gonna do? All he does is go out there and you know yell into the megaphone and and scream and holler. He, he doesn't bring anything to the Hulk Hogan presentation. If anything, he brings something stupid. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my take on on Jimmy Hart with Hulk Hogan as a manager as a good guy nonetheless. Now if Hogan was bad. Then I could see him and Jimmy Hart together, but they didn't do that. They eventually would turn Jimmy Hart on Hogan before Hogan turned bad, and Jimmy Hart would be at the Dungeon of Doom, and that was the end of that. But um, getting ready, cage match here, um, here on uh, you know the, the the Bash at the Beach Baywatch party here, Hogan and Vader for the WCW World Heavyweight Title. Crowd is. Uh, Eagerly waiting, the man they call Vader, to make his way to the ring. Yep, there he is. That huge helmet looks so cool. There you see the the Baywatch cameraman filming as Vader makes his way down to the ring. Yeah, the the the, the helmet this year used to be the one that like the the smoke would come out of. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, Vader's son uh, currently has this. Um, I know Vader's son for a while was making a run uh, in pro wrestling. He was training in the NXT territory, uh, developmental, I should say. Yeah, look at those muscles. Yeah, she definitely looks like she could work out in NXT. Um, yeah, Vader with that helmet and just his look—he was just so intimidating. Um, this wasn't the best of Vader, but I didn't think this stuff was terrible either, the stuff he did with Hogan, that's for sure. But that helmet thing looks so cool. I know a few people have tried it on. Uh, Bill Brown, cousin Bill Brown, who has been on the show a couple of times. Um, he, I remember seeing a picture with him with it on. Um, he said it was smelly. Oh, yeah, Vader cussing at the camera. Just called someone a motherfucker. That's real nice. Thank you. Appreciate that. And here we see the, the flags are waving from the summer breeze as, uh, what is this? What's that guy throwing? He's not throwing away money, is he? And there we see uh, Gina Lee Nolan, David Chokichi, and the rest of those Baywatch girls all making their way down to the ring to escort the man. The world heavyweight champion of WCW. Along with there you see Jimmy Hart, walking birth control ad. Dennis Rodman, who never met a girl he didn't like to fuck. And Hulk Hogan, the WCW world heavyweight champion. That's him right there. The real American hero. Ready to do battle with Big Van Vader. And, and, and get back the Boys and Girls Club, brother. That's right, I'm going to save the Boys and Girls Club, dude, by beating Big Van Vader. Steel Cage. Yeah, I always like WCW's cage matches because 
<coughs> Excuse me. I used to use the chain link fence. Not that I didn't like the blue bars from WWF, because I certainly did, but the chain link fence cage there um, used to look like it used to make the it gave the cage a more violent look. If if, if you you can understand what I mean there. Um, not that the blue bars weren't violent, but the cage, the, the, the chain link cage just made it look more violent. I don't know. That's what I equate it to. I don't know what you guys feel about that, but, um, you see Hogan ripping off the shirt in the cage belt comes off. He's ready to go. Fans are ready. Oh yeah. See, they, see, they picked a good spot to have a show. You, you, you know, no offense to some of those wrestling fans out there, but there are some ugly wrestling fans out there. <laughs> okay? And they, I couldn't find any in this show, that's for sure. Hogan now, choking Vader, heading into the cage. Oh! Yeah, I, I know. I'm a terrible person. I'm going to hell. I probably shouldn't have said that. I take that back. I'm sorry for those ugly people out there. I apologize. I shouldn't have said that. They're, everyone's beautiful inside now. You know, that's how it goes. Um... Oh, hey now, rubbing his rubbing his his greasy bandana in Vader's face. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and Hogan. One more for good measure with a boot to the face. A little curb stomp action there on top of the cage as you see the waves crashing, the birds, the seagulls are flying, the lifeguard tower in the background. Yeah, this was this was a pretty cool setup here. You hardly ever saw Hogan do that, jumping off the second rope, that's for sure. Hogan hardly left his feet unless it was to deliver a leg drop. But he didn't make his way to the top rope or the second rope very often. And if he did, it was it was not pretty. Um, like that double axiom there. But Hogan putting that work on Vader. Chop to the big man. Another chop to the big man. And is he going for the eyes? Is he going to rake the eyes? Is he going to... He's going to rub that face into the cage. Oh, Vader with a shot to the gut. And bam, right there. Oh, wait a minute. He blocked it. Never mind. Oh, backhand. And a right hand by Hogan. Right hand by Vader. Hogan, Vader, Hogan. Va oh, right to the eyes by Hogan. Yeah, the... Uh, on the Baywatch episode, we saw a lot of, um, you know, the, the way it was filmed and the way the story was, you know, depicted. Hogan was... Um, Hogan was the aggressor in this, um, and Hogan had the advantage, and you rarely saw Vader um, get the upper hand. Um, obviously, the story was designed so that Hogan could be the hero and go in and wipe the floor with the guy so he can get back the, 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 the deed to the property of the Boys and Girls Club. But, um, yeah, this was... Um, this was a solid match, I will say. People, people, you know, will shit on it because it's Hogan and it's WCW nineteen ninety five. But um, you know, it's it was a, it was a solid match. I, I I really don't have any complaints about it. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I'm biased because I like this event because it was held outdoors. Um, but I was um, I was yeah. I I I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was as bad as people have made it out to be. That's for sure. I will say though, from a production standpoint, as you're watching this, I'm um, sure you, the, the the shots inside the cage, or at least those far away shots that you see. Oh, he almost made it to the helmet. Oh, that had to have hurt for sure. Oh, that's a pretty cool visual here. 
Hogan putting on the mask. Yeah. That's cool. That is real cool. I like that. <laughs> he goes to grab Vader with the, oh and a headbutt with the mask on. And another headbutt. Taking out Vader time. That's right, baby. Vader time. Rake to the eyes by Hogan. Hogan the aggressor in this here. Big time. Surprised at how much offense Vader hasn't gotten in in this match. But um Irish whip into the corner. All right, there we go. And I think the tide's turning now just a little bit. He's got to make the comeback. You know, Hogan's got to, you know, look like he's in danger here. But as I was saying earlier, the um, the, the, the camera shots here, um, like those faraway shots that we saw, uh, the hard camera, it's, you know, especially in the daytime with the, with the cage, um, I would imagine um, as a viewer, Watching this, uh, it was pretty difficult. Um, that's why you see a lot of these close-up shots here. Um, you don't see a cameraman inside the cage, but you see the cameraman just kind of uh, peering through the, the 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 holes of the cage to get the best shots possible here. Um, I imagine this was a, a, a production issue, like this right here. Um, if you're not looking closely, you might not see Hogan. Oh, wait, yeah, I was wrong. There is a cameraman in the cage right there. Hogan with a two count. You making a comeback already? I mean, come on. Come on, brother. Um, but yeah, the, the the camera shots just... It can, especially in this, the, the lighting, the daytime, and um, it, it can be rather difficult as a viewer to watch. Um, any kind of outdoor wrestling event, you kind of have to... Um, produce things a little bit differently because of the outdoor elements like i said we're gonna we're gonna cover that next week with our episode titled blue skies wrestling where we're going to delve into outdoor wrestling events stadium shows that's a big thing for me as a fan i love those kinds of shows i think they're just so unique and different that's a big reason why we're watching this here this bash at the beach event um because I just thought the visual of being outside on the beach and, and, and having a ring in the middle of the beach I thought was so cool. And, you know, the, the outdoor stadium element is, a, is, a, is one of my favorite uh, aspects of pro wrestling when they, when they do it. Um, while, we're, while we're watching this match, um, you know, why don't I just kind of give you guys a little bit of a rundown of what we're going to have for the next few weeks here on kicking out at two as we head into the, 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 the latter part of summer here. We're going to... Uh, we're gonna be just next week, like I said, Blue Skies Wrestling, discover you know, discussing outdoor wrestling events that have taken place over the years. The following week, we're gonna be bringing back our trading places concept. I know we had one last last week. Uh, we're gonna bring it back to you in two weeks, as we have. Um, we're gonna be covering SummerSlam 1991. What if the Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth's match made in heaven wedding ceremony ended differently? than what we saw in 1991. What if Bret Hart was unable to become the WWF Intercontinental Champion and defeating Mr. Perfect? What if the big boss man went to jail instead of the Mountie? What if the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, retained his million-dollar championship? We're going to cover all the what-if scenarios and the trajectories of the winners and losers of each of those matches from SummerSlam 1991 in two weeks. The following week... The watch party poll winner, SummerSlam 1992. Oh, 
And I believe that's the point right there where Vader hurt his shoulder in this match. I believe, yeah, that, that move. I don't know what the hell he was thinking there, but um, he took a sick bump there. Um, on August the, uh, August the 7th, we're going to be covering SummerSlam 1992 in watch party form. We're going to watch that show from beginning to end. You guys voted for it in the polls, so we're going to watch it together on WWE Network. Then the following week, we're going to do um, another trading places of, a, of SummerSlam 2004, 15 years in the making, 15-year uh, anniversary of that event. We're going to trade places with all the what-if scenarios, play a little role reversal. What if Randy Orton was unable to become the youngest world champion? What if Eugene was able to defeat Triple H? What if The Undertaker won the WWF Championship, or should I say WWE Championship, over JBL? We discuss all those what-if scenarios of that SummerSlam. And then the following week, we're going to cover... Uh, we're going to bring back the My Favorites collection, where we're going to sit down and watch one of my favorite steel cage matches of all time. Ironically enough, we're, we're watching one right now as I'm talking about this. Um, so from SummerSlam 1994, Bret Hart and Owen Hart. Um, hopefully my brother Justin's going to join me um, once he's settled into married life. And we're going to watch that match from beginning to end. We're going to talk about why we like it so much and our thoughts about it then and now. Uh, and then the following week, we close out the month of August with a debut of the Blind Date Diaries. Blind Date Diaries is a uh, is a, a new concept to kick an out or two where we um, we take an event that I've never watched before ever, and I'll watch it from beginning to end, and then I'll recap it for all of you. Um, you ever gone on a blind date before and it's just gone terribly wrong, or you've been on a blind date and it's been you know unexpectedly very good. Okay, well, it could go either way with these with these recaps. So we're going to watch, or I'm going to watch, the big event from August the 28th, 1986, which was headlined by Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful Paul Under for the WWF Championship at the old Olympic Stadium in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, we're going we're gonna to watch that. I'm going to watch that before I record that from beginning to end. And that's going to close out the month of August with our schedule here on Kicking Out It 2. As we see Hogan making the comeback now, slamming Vader, um, but having a, hard time, uh, having a hard time making the cover because of the massive size of one big van, Vader. Vader laying in them shots. Man, his punches look so real. Like, his punches were just, they were just devastating. They devastating looking. Even his clothesline there, uh, that wasn't a very good one. But some of his clotheslines in the past, if you go back and watch some of his stuff like he did with Sting or Ric Flair, he looked like he took someone's fucking head off. Here he is going to the, going to the ropes again. Big splash nailing Hogan. One, two, kick out. And now we're on the comeback. Now we see it right there, shaking his head. Oh, let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, dude. Yeah, he is not happy. The brother is not happy whatsoever. He is not thrilled. Here we go, hulking up. Vader looking to rim him in the cage. Nope, that's not going to do it. That's not going to do it because at the beginning of the match, apparently it, it, it affected Hogan. But now that it's happened in Hulk up mode, it's it 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 doesn't it doesn't do anything to him. Doesn't even doesn't even leave a gash on the forehead. Blocking it. Right hand. Another right hand. And now it's your turn to eat the cage. And there we see. Ooh, 
Right there, there's one. Pillar to post, two, three, four to Vader. Going for the big boot, nailing it. We got to body slam him again. Oh, is he going down? Is he teetering? Are we going for another one? Another bit. Oh, he kicked him right in the dick. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. What do we got here? We have the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, and the Zodiac. Oh, and there's Dennis Rodman nailing the Zodiac. Oh, he's swinging that chair like he knows what he's doing. Holy shit. I wonder why WCW called him Zodiac, otherwise known as Brutus Beefcake, otherwise known as the Booty Man, otherwise known as the Man with No Name, otherwise known as the Butcher, otherwise known as Brother Brudeye, otherwise known as Ed Boulder, um, the, the, the Man of Many Names, <laughs> Brutus Beefcake. There we see Hulk Hogan with the leg drop. Why didn't you cover him the first time, dude? Oh, because Hogan must pose, that's why. <coughs> Excuse me. I apologize for that. Yep, still got a pose. Break the eyes. Go for it again. Showboating. Another leg drop. Come on, just end this already, man. For real, dude. You're not making this any easier. Oh, he's going to climb the cage. Okay, I see what he's doing here. He's going to climb the cage. All right, I get it. Exit the cage the way you came in. By enter. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Now they're fighting up top. Another chop. Oh, it looks like he's giving him knife edge chops to the throat. Man, Hogan was not one to be chopping. Oh, big man getting crotched. Hogan sees the opportunity to exit the cage. And here we go. Bam. Match over. And still your WCW World Heavyweight Champion, saving the Boys and Girls Club of Baywatch, Hulk Hogan. And that 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 uh, that about does it with our, our special Baywatch party of the latter portion of WCW's Bash at the Beach 1995. We see Hogan and Rodman and Jimmy Hart leaving. Um, fans, it looks like they're uh, they're getting ready to file out of here too, um, trying to make it so they can beat the traffic. I would imagine. You can see the crowd really, uh, really in a hurry to get out. <laughs> I mean, you spend all day at the beach. I get it. You know, the, the the sun could you know knock you out for sure. I was at the beach yesterday, as a matter of fact, and it, it, it knocked me out too. And you ever see Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan? Uh, Bobby Heenan distraught and upset that Vader did not end Hulkamania. Um, here's something that just came to me. Bobby Heenan. What if Bobby Heenan managed Big Van Vader? Imagine that alliance. That would have been pretty cool to see. Ric Flair not happy that Vader could not defeat Hulk Hogan. Could not end Hulkamania. And this was the beginning of, like I said, the beginning of the storyline between Flair and Arn Anderson, um, which really jumped off with Flair and Vader. This was what turned Vader into a babyface here, um, as you'll see it unfold here. So we're still continuing this the, the, this watch party. Oh, grabs him by the throat. 
And there's Arn Anderson, a flair uh, follower, so to speak, the enforcer. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Holy shit. What the fuck? Flair just took like a, a... Flair took a dive out of that cage. Holy cow. Him and Arn powdering out. And uh, there you see Vader. Not happy that he lost the title, but also not happy that he was embarrassed by Flair and Anderson. This would set up a match between both... You know, between Vader against Flair and Anderson at the Clash of Champions event the following month um, on TBS. And it was a handicap match. And that match would springboard the, um, or catapult and launch the rivalry between Ric Flair and Arn Anderson that I discussed earlier. Um, And this is, and, and mind you, this all took place before there was ever a WCW Nitro. Okay, so this was precursor to Nitro. As a matter of fact, during this time period, um, Nitro um, wasn't even uh, wasn't even announced yet, or it was going to be announced shortly after this event. You see the, uh, the, the 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 helicopter shot here, crowd leaving, Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone recapping what just took place here. Um, and yeah, folks, that about does it with this special Baywatch party of WCW, the latter portion of WCW Bash the Beach 1995. I'm shutting it off here at this point. You guys can continue watching if you'd like. Um, yeah, this was, this been a lot of fun. I thank you guys so much for being a part of this. And, uh, you know, this, like I said, I was trying to figure out what I was going to be able to do for this week's show. And, you know, with, with, with not having a co-host and, you know, family obligations. And I, like I said, I got the next few weeks shows in the can. So, um, next week, like I said, Blue Skies Wrestling, following week, Trading Places, SummerSlam 1991. Following week after that, we have another watch party, SummerSlam 1992, that you guys all voted for in the polls. Um, following week after that, my favorites, uh, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Steel Cage Match, SummerSlam 1994. And then to end the month of August, we have the Blind Date Diaries debut as we recap the big event from August 28, 1986, of, which was headlined with Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff for the WWF Championship. Also on that card was Jake the Snake Roberts and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and so many other great matches. Um, can't wait to get into that with you guys as well for the rest of the summer here on kicking out at two don't forget facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two hit the like button if you haven't already if you have hit the like button telephone tell a friend telegraph tell a wrestler tell whoever to hit the like button and join us for some fun nostalgic pro wrestling over there with pictures and articles debates and discussions links to archive shows and so much more facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two also our twitter handle at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two the same fun we have it on facebook we're having it on twitter but 140 to 220 characters or less please if you have a twitter if you know someone that has a twitter give us a follow we're trying to build up our following over there on twitter and make it fun and interactive. Sometimes I feel like I talk to myself or I talk to the 29 followers that we have currently over on Twitter. And I want to build that audience and grow over there as well as we are on our Facebook page. So please, if you know someone that loves wrestling, nostalgic wrestling, go give us a follow. I think we can I, I, th- I think we can we, we we can impress you guys. So and don't forget as well. Kicking out a two, part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. That's right. 
Um, you can find every show of Kicking Out of Two over there on Podbean by searching Retromania, and you'll see the lineup of all the shows from Kicking Out of Two, as well as Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, and so many great other shows. We've got more shows we're going to be adding in the coming weeks and months to round out the rest of 2019 heading into 2020. We're just halfway through 2019, and I'm already talking about the end of 2019 going into 2020. So definitely a, uh, a fun time to be a, um, a, a wrestling podcast fan with us here on Kicking Out It 2 as well as the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. And you know what? I think it's about that time that we put this show down for the three count. There is no more big legs. There's no more flying elbow drops. It's not Vader time anymore. The Boys and Girls Club of Venice Beach, California has been saved. Thank you all so very much for being a part of this week's show. And we will see you all next week.